Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Ravinder, why should anyone bother to log on to your chat room? Because I'm in there, why else? (laughs) A little bit of modesty, why not? Now, actually, it is a great chat room. We have a a great group of people. They add an additional dimension to this subject matter that is being, um, that's going out on air. And I always learn a lot. It's just a good group of people in there. And uh, yeah, we have some great conversation and a few laughs along the way as well. And we actually make some good friends through there too. So that that is just really cool. So if you can join us, if the boss isn't going to be upset with you or you're not driving because cops don't like it either, then do come into provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Cops. Hey, listen, I hate it. You pull us, somebody's weaving a little in traffic or they're going really slow. Um, you know, they're in a 55 doing 30 and you, you, you come around them and you look over there and they're, they're looking at a, at their telephone or their makeup mirror or, I, hey. Yeah. yeah. So everyone get the picture there. Do not come into the chat room if you are driving. Um, Eldon Taylor's not very fond of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in this week's spotlight, I wish to remind you of some of the threats that exist in today's world of ever-advancing technology. In my book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will, I addressed issues like televisions that watch you, automobiles that can be taken over remotely while you're behind the wheel, devices that listen in to your conversations, free flashlight apps for your phone that track your every move, Cloning devices that can copy data from your computer or cell phone in an instant, and on and on. Not science fiction, all technologies that exist today. Now, none of these devices, like I say, are fictional. And, And I think we have to think about that and recognize it because they represent just the tip of the proverbial iceberg as I discovered when I finally decided it was time to quit writing gotcha at about 120,000 words. I also addressed the Big Brother concept utilized to manipulate our thinking, such as the use of social media, profiling, and the like, and all of this long before Cambridge Analytica gained front-page news status. And let me tell you, what you've read about in the news, again, it, it... It's a veneer. It's much, much deeper and much more commonly used by all sorts of folks for as many reasons as there are personal agendas. I often post on my Facebook page new research leading to more gadgets, such as those that can wash away your memories and implants false ones. One of my favorite reviews of Gotcha stated this, Where 1984 reached into the future to tell a story of what would happen in the world, gotcha, reaches into the past and explains how they did it without you knowing it. So this past week, I posted the Siri Alexa Google Assistant scandal story, informing us all that these devices could be controlled by someone other than yourself and outside your home via a subliminal message, something I also talk about in gotcha. Okay, maybe Alexa is instructed to buy a new giant screen TV using your Amazon account to pay for it, shipping it somewhere else in the world. Now, this sort of thing probably occurred to most people who read about the scandal. However, as we become more reliant on our smart toys to run our lives, 
we begin sharing alarm codes, bank details, credit card info, etc., and the danger grows exponentially. So what are we to do? Many of us already depend on our smartphones for the phone numbers of our contacts. After all, why bother memorizing so many numbers when it's so easy to store them on our device? Many of us also depend upon our GPS to navigate from place to place. We have note takers, notification prompts, alarm clocks, emails, social networking, and so much more that we have integrated into our lives that it's a fair question to ask, how do we manage without them? As humans, we are fallible. We forget things. We lose things. We can't know everything, etc. And these smart devices make up for our fallibility. Today, our smartphone can enable a quick Internet search that literally provides us with the advantage that could have only been known 50 years ago by carrying everywhere with us a complete set of encyclopedias together with a good dictionary. Imagine that. Indeed, it is our human vulnerabilities that make the smart devices so desirable. And those who make them know this. Can we really live without them then? Probably not. Not in today's fast-paced world. So again, the question, what are we to do? For me, it's all about using the technology by knowing its abilities and limitations. It's no longer the days of old when you could afford to ignore all the capabilities that your new VHS player offered. After all, all you wanted to do was play your movies. No, today we must take the time to learn how these devices work, how others might be able to utilize them, how to disable those features that might track our every move or place an order with an Amazon using our credit card and so forth. We must understand how these devices can be used against us and do what we can do to stop that. Bottom line, we're going to have to be smart about our smart toys. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder? You know, that's uh, an interesting topic, the whole idea of technology. I remember the point, you know, I mean, things are changing so fast now. I remember the point when I turned to you and said to you, I like technology, you know, because it is making so many things so much easier and, you know, having my phone on my hip, that's more than having a complete set of encyclopedias. It's like having, you know, vast libraries that go on and on and the amount of information that is there and you don't need to carry a map. Remember how difficult it was to, to fold up maps and try and figure out where the heck you're going? So technology has made things really easy and with that comes you know lots of areas of concern it is interesting how much stuff that you covered in your book gotcha um that people only now are beginning to pay attention to it's only since you know this last election cycle that they're really aware of um, how much information can be obtained about them and their preferences and how they can be manipulated. If I remember correctly, you had some research in Gotcha that also talked about cameras analyzing people's faces and reactions as they saw new products out there. So you can end up, you know, telling someone all your likes and dislikes without telling them anything whatsoever. And all of this stuff does matter, you know, so that the piece of research I always that always amused me in Gotcha. You talked about um, if you're being served in a restaurant, if the waitress is wearing a red dress, she'll get a higher tip. And it doesn't matter if she's serving men or women. You know, these little bits of information that all come together and the technology that is used, it's, it's scary out there, but they make it all so very convenient. So I think the be- you're right. The best thing you can do is to pay attention. Pay yeah. attention. Think about what you're doing. Billions and billions of dollars have been spent by private agencies and the government ascertaining, um, making the calculations, running the studies to know exactly how to, if you will, 
order of compliance from an audience, win the hearts and minds, quote unquote, and manipulate us as a result. And that, that's a part of, of what the book is. But today's, you know, all about the technology. And, 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 and you're right. There is so much more technology than what we have discussed here that it's mind boggling. All right, moving on. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last live show featured Michael Shermer, and we discussed his book, Heavens on Earth, The Scientific Search for the Afterlife, Immortality, and Utopia. Gerald wrote, great show with Professor Shermer. Beth wrote, I'm beginning to really like spiritual atheists. Well, now, in fairness, Beth, uh, Michael is a self-proclaimed agnostic, not an atheist. Amy wrote, I'm tired of so many skeptics today. They bully others with science and think they're smarter than anyone else. And Richard wrote, instead of skeptics, maybe they should be called rationalists. R.K. wrote, skepticism, critical thinking, I think the school should offer classes on this. Creating a more moral and just world is a great goal. Moving on, Andrew wrote, it has only been five days that I've been listening to my weight loss and using metabolism to melt fat intertalk programs. Already I'm noticing a very marked difference in appetite. I'm not as hungry as I used to be and I get full faster. Also, I've been more active in the past five days than I have been in the past two months. I've been playing pickup games of basketball and did a sprint workout today. I'm curious to find out what else is going to happen in the next 30 days. I'm a believer now. I like that. And Catherine wrote, thank you so much for your wonderful InterTalk products. They seem to be making a huge difference in the way I conduct my daily living. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Now to today's show, Billions Lost, the American Tech Crisis and the Roadmap to Change with author Hillary T. Gamm. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. For over two decades... GAM has amassed a wide-sweeping professional portfolio at virtually all levels of the tech industry hierarchy, from field work to middle management to executive leadership. Her work experiences include help desks, tech support, web development, mainframes, client servers, cloud computing, testing, and data centers. She has managed IT departments, projects, application development, and client services. She has consulted for large international corporate IT programs, has deployed applications in over 40 countries, and managed multilingual offshore teams. So from the help desk to Executive Suite, her compelling insights provide a lucid glimpse into the transitions, miscalculations, and prevailing vulnerabilities for the American economy. All right, Gam's copy reads, quote, Extensively researched and firmly apolitical, Billions Lost explains how the offshoring of millions of U.S. technology jobs opened a gateway that places our economy, our national security, and our educational system at risk. Close quote. The book is a great read. You're going to want to read this one. So on that, let's get her in. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Hillary Gamm. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's indeed my pleasure. I don't suppose you're going to tell me what your real name is, since that's a pseudo name, are you? I am not. <laughs> okay. Well, you know I'm going to ask. All of right. course. <laughs> we like to know three things on this show, Hillary. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? To that end, please share with us what drives your passions and goals. Okay. Well, uh, as a tech industry worker... I am driven by a compelling need to make sure people in America, in the United States of America, understand that many thousands, basically millions of jobs have left the U.S. in the tech industry. Many Americans see huge U.S. tech titans, corporations, and they think that all the technologies here 
But the reality is, is that every industry across the U.S. and across the globe uses tech labor to keep them running. And majority of that labor is now not located in the United States. It's located offshore. And so what drove me initially to write the book was a combination of several things. But one is to really educate Americans that this is a real situation, that our tech labor and our data is not necessarily here in the U.S. So when individuals talk about financial data or health data or personal data, it's not stored here in the U.S. And so it's not necessarily subject to U.S. laws and regulations. That's not necessarily protected uh, by physical protection by where those servers are located. So those are two really big facts that most Americans don't realize. But what really drives me is the fact that I'm a mother and I have children and I'm invested in the future of the United States, not only through the legacy of my own family, but through the legacy of all the children uh, in the U.S. And I hope for them that they have opportunities uh, to work and to live the same kind of life that I was fortunate enough to live in the U.S., which had to do with free speech and education. And I saw that given the fact that we were sending all these tech jobs offshore and out of the country in the digital age, it was a very different paradigm than what existed in previously in U.S. history. You know, in other times of U.S. history, the biggest industries that were driving the economics of a country were also employing those citizens in the country. And the country was benefiting from all the economic, uh, you know, involvement and engagement of employing our own citizens. And so I felt that there was an opportunity and a gap in terms of everybody's understanding of where the tech labor sits. And on the additional um, points that you brought up, you know, in, in your initial monologue, I also talk about national security and data privacy. And before I wrote this book, before uh, things came out with uh, Cambridge Analytica, but I talked a lot in the book about you know data and hacking. Uh, the, the, the recent news has been about data aggregation, taking data and putting it together, and doing a lot of what you mentioned in your book and talked about in terms of then trying to you know create groupthink or you know, persuade people to think a different way or filter information that gets people to, you know, potentially not necessarily fake news, but, you know, have different opinions based on the information that they're seeing. And so right. there's an evolution, right, of technology, and it affects the way our society works, and it affects the ability for us to be free thinkers and for us to have free speech and for us to have privacy, you know, very basic privacy. And those are very compelling reasons, I think, that tech needs to be in the news. And the reason education is wrapped up in there is if we don't educate every American citizen to the basic foundations of technology and how it works, it's really difficult to engage, you know, the citizenry of the United States to do the right thing. And so, you know, it puts us all at a disadvantage. And so what I want to do is make technology accessible to everyday people. It's not really as complicated as Silicon Valley executives want you to believe. Technology is accessible to everyone, and we can all learn and understand our rights and the opportunities of technology and the risks associated with technology. So that's what drove me to write the book, really to get the ball started, get the ball rolling, and get the dialogue started and spark a national conversation for people to start talking about tech. Amen, and you did a good job. As far as I'm concerned, your book is, you know, should be a must read. You heard the spotlight. You just referred to it. Uh, you know, maybe it's redundant to ask this, but I'm going to ask it again. How important in your mind is it for us to be smart about these technologies today instead of just taking them for granted on the surface and, oh, it will do this and gosh, did you know it will do that? And there's new app and it's free and da, 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 da. <laughs> right. Exactly. You, you know, you're, you're, you're voicing such important um, ideas and theories for all your listeners. It's so important, right? Because, you know, what happened is that the majority of people in the United States, they saw these things that were quote-unquote free and didn't realize the price they were paying. Listen, technology is incredible. It gives us an ac access and opportunity to worlds and, and ideas and thoughts and, and creative concepts and and social, you know, engagement that we never had before. But all of that positive 
there's negative that matches that positive. It opens us as a society to so many risks and so many issues and really the degradation of privacy and every possible you know, way you can possibly think of privacy. You know, someone just yesterday was talking to me. They were asking me if I could help them construct a website for their new business. And I talked to them about, you know, they were like, oh, I can put my name. And I said, do you really want to put your name? You sure you want to put your name? Because think about it. Just your first name can give somebody a wide view of everyone who you know, everywhere you've ever lived, everything you've almost ever done, everything that potentially you've purchased. It's, it's incredible. People don't realize how little information needs to be made available for people to get a whole world of information available to them about you. And that's a concern. And today's youth takes it all for granted. You know, they say they grow up with this feeling, you know, this is the first generation of Americans who've grown up with iPhones in their hands. They grow up acknowledging, I have no privacy. They grow up with that, that feeling, I have no privacy. I'll never have any privacy. That's so different than every generation of Americans who came before them. And okay. so where do you see people acknowledging and recognizing that all this technology and all its splendor really is potentially very hazardous? You did because you grew up in a time when all of this technology wasn't necessarily available. But you, there was not a situation where it could be used against people or against the very fabric and fiber of our society as an, as an American society. And so you see it because you're a forward-thinking person. But not everybody sees it. It takes a lot to get them engaged. And so absolutely, for all the pluses and all the positives that I see for the youth today in terms of having such powerful technology in their hands, and like Ravinder said, you know, in her pocket, there's also that same abundance of opportunity for bad, for nefarious characters doing things that it will be a reputable harm to us as individuals, to us as a society, to us as a people, to us as a country. And that's what's so important. And that's why I'm so grateful to come on your show today to talk about these really important things for the American people. You know, one of the things I hear all the time, Hillary, and I've made a point of this one, I guess it, you could say in a way it, it amuses me, in another way it's a bit of a pet peeve. Social networking is a case in point. Uh, we'll often have these little quizzes, you know, uh, and the and the quiz will be, you know, uh, what Hollywood actress would you be if you were an actress? What, you know, animal would you be? And, and I'm sure you're familiar with these things. And, of course, people will fill out and answer all these questions, and it's linked to your Facebook or what have you. And 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 I, I I warn people. Do you know how much information? I mean, a profile's so what they'll say. So what? You know, I don't care. I'm not a criminal. I don't do anything wrong. What do you? How do you respond to that, Hillary? Well, you know, do you want to be a target or not? That's a simple question. Do you want to be a target? So let me give you an example. So people will post. I. I tell all kinds of cautionary tales, but let me give your listeners an example. So if they're on Facebook, okay, and they want to post, you know, let me talk a little bit about, you know, the idea of social media. So uh, social media is great, right? You know, people can get together. You can talk to people you went to high school with. You can connect with people. All great. Well, there's tons of really bad things with social media when you look at today's youth. So let me, let me you know, spark on that for a second, and then I'll talk to you a little bit about how I caution people. So let's talk about teenage girls. You know, today, when you talk to psychologists, I've talked to several over the past week, specifically about social media and teenage girls. You know, 20, 30 years ago, every magazine that was a fashion magazine in the U.S. got slammed. Do you remember why? Yeah. It was because the images of women were so uh, far from what any normal person could achieve, that it created a situation that was damaging. Well, today's social media has taken the place of what magazines were in the 80s and 90s in the U.S. And people don't realize that. Because if you're a grandmother or you're a mother, you're not necessarily on social media and using it the same way 
a teenager is using it today. But it's even more damaging and more hurtful to these teenage girls, and I'll explain to you why. So before, they were static images. You could talk about people airbrushing images, and you could look at them and say, hmm, yeah, that's not really attainable, but she's beautiful. What happens today is in these situations with social media, you have these teenage girls, and they're looking at pictures of their peers. And their peers are creating this social media persona that's often very far removed from who they really are. They take maybe 500 pictures. They post, I was at this party, I was with these friends, they're laughing, they're having fun. And they're creating this persona of, you know, always being happy, always being on, everything's great. Well, what's been linked to that is that there is a huge uptick in suicide because many of these girls who are maintaining these false personas, when they get so far from who they are, they get depressed. They can't live up to this social media expectation that they've created. And there's been more suicides. It's called the duck syndrome, the duckling syndrome. The girls who are looking at this, you know, mothers are, are sometimes parents, not just mothers, but fathers, caregivers are looking at their social media sites of their children and determining, are they happy, are they not? Well, their social media site looks like everything's okay, and then they're not even connecting verbally with their children. You know, they're, they're replacing that verbal communication with checking out their social media site to keep kind of track of who they're friends with, where they're going, and how they're feeling. Think of how different these paradigms are from any other generation of Americans. And think of how scary they are. Because quite frankly, there's no teenage girl. You know, they, they talked about another thing that the psychologist talked to me about was teenage girls who are posting pictures of really thin girls with eating disorders. Everybody that posts is looking for like, the thumbs up and the word like. And there's a competition, right? How many likes did you get for that photo? Oh, you only got this many likes. I got this many likes for my post. And it becomes a competition. And mm-hmm. it's all, you know, ultimately very damaging. Because let's think about the history of America. Let's think about the history of what made America great. Well, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who was giving children their feel good? Who was pumping them up? Who was en- enabling them to be successful as adults? A citizen. Who was it? Their parents. Your neighbor, of course. Your parents. And and your parents. And your neighborhood, right? Right, right. And today, right, and then what happened is, if you remember, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, Dr. Spock came out with all his books and talked about how peers were very influential in shaping who teenagers were and who do they become as adults. And now we turn to today. Today, it's not necessarily the parents who are building up the kids, it's their peers. It's how many likes they're getting. I did this. Oh, awesome. And that makes them feel good. That makes them feel bad. They didn't get enough likes. If they didn't get enough followers, if they don't get enough tweets, they're not getting enough Snapchat, right? If they're not engaged, they don't, if they're not, there's not enough people in their social group, they're feeling bad, right? They're not feeling good. And that's replacing what used to be somebody saying to them, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you can succeed. Right. And so when we create a nation of individuals who are getting their affirmation of who they are and what they can do, not necessarily from people who share their same values or share their same vision for the future, it can really affect the fiber of society. And so one of the things I caution people about when they're on social media is think about what you're doing with social media. Think about who you're connecting with. Think about your, your persona that you have on social media and how that differs from who you are in person. Are they the same person? And for every parent that I talk to about their child's use of social media, I give them the following guidelines. You must limit it, right? Your kids can't be on their phones 24-7. You, you have to learn how to create a balance. But more importantly, see technology as a tool. See it as a tool, the same way we saw the telephone as a tool, or the computer as a tool, or the typewriter as a tool. It's a tool. And if you use it the right way, it can enable you to achieve incredible success. But if you use it and you don't realize the ramifications and the damage that you can, use, that you can 
that you can realize from using it incorrectly or disabusing it, then you're in big trouble. And the best example I can give, I just uh, posted an article about this, and it's going to be on the blog soon, is think about automobiles. We don't just tell children, there's a car in the driveway, go use it. It can get you wherever you want to go, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't do that. We, we say, okay, there's rules and regulations about using an automobile. There's a certain age when you can start driving that automobile. And we're going to teach you how to use it. So there's ethics and there's rules and regulations about it. Technology, when you think about it, is still in its infancy. And so as a nation, as a society, we haven't quite gotten enough Americans' heads wrapped around the concepts that you talked about in Gossip, that there needs to be ethics, there needs to be regulations, there needs to be understanding. Once we get there, then we can come up with the right future for technology in our lives. But right now, people aren't even recognizing the dangers associated and the threats associated with our existence as free-thinking human beings living in a democracy in a capitalist country associated with technology. And it's critical and it's important, and that's why, again, grateful to be on the show. So well said, so true, and, and again, uh, just a part of the picture. Uh, we've blown through our normal time to jump out to commercial. The computer's probably clacking away, but we're going to have to take a break at this point. We're speaking with Hillary Gamm about her work and book, Billions Lost. You can learn more about our guest by visiting her website at billionslostbook.com. This is a great read. It should be mandatory reading, in my view. Go get yourself a copy of it, whether you're buying it or going to your library, and bury yourself into it until you understand everything that's there. Important read. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to InnerTalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. my 
Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Hillary Gamm about her work and book, Billions Lost, The American Tech Crisis and the Roadmap to Change. Books on Amazon. Go get it. Get it today. Um, it's a great read. My book, it's an, uh, a mandatory read. You can learn more about our guest, her book, etc., by visiting her website at billionslostbook.com. One word, billionslostbook.com. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real significance to them. As you know, for me, music psychology is a new avocation, and it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So we just played some of I Believe in You by Michael Bubble. Tell us, Hillary, why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are? Love that question. Um, because, you know, people believe in me, and they believe in my ability to do good and communicate effectively and educate Americans about what's going on with tech. And if people believe in me, I believe in you, and I believe in your listeners. And it's very important, right? That's a very important fundamental idea that sometimes is lost today. Uh, when those around you believe in you, and they believe in your ability to do good, you can accomplish incredible things. So that's the reason that song means a lot to me. Uh, I would not have been able to write a book as a mother and a caregiver and I work full time and and as a person who's, you know, active in in my life, I wouldn't have ever been able to write a book uh, and done all this research and gone on radio shows and talked to people if I didn't have people that believed in me. And, you know, I just want everyone listening to know that they have an opportunity to make a difference. You know, every person, you know, has an opportunity to make the world a better place. And everything you do to make things better for one person is multiplied over and over again. And I talk a lot in the book about role modeling, right? I talk a lot in the book about role modeling. And you and this show is a perfect example of positive role modeling. You give people an opportunity to speak. You give them an opportunity to bring out ideas that maybe they don't hear anywhere else. And in doing so, you're giving them the opportunity to be active participants in our world today. And you're an excellent role model. And so thank you for asking me why that uh, I chose that song and why it's important to me. Um, but it, without the people believing in me, I never would have been able to succeed of uh, the many accomplishments um, I have, uh, especially in this book endeavor. That's very well thought out. <laughs> excellent answer. All right. I'm going to take you to some things that where they should be apolitical, perhaps they're not. You know, we seem to be able to turn politics into almost anything today. Let's talk about China's economic aggression. Uh, Cyber espionage, uh, unfair practices, uh, stealing technology. You know, there are two sides to this story. If you listen to the popular political pundits today, what's the real bottom line? Is there any danger here? (laughs) yeah that's what i thought oh gosh okay so yes i try to be super apolitical and i just really try to present the facts so let me think of the best way to communicate my thoughts on this with in keeping with your um with your show the most important thing about your show that i that i love about your show is that it's about having an open mind about approaching subjects with an open mind Right? Regardless of where you come from, what home you were brought up in, what state you lived in, what job you have, you know, looking at things with a different perspective, just having an open mind. Okay? All right. So when we look at China and we look at the U.S., some of the things that upset me and concern me as a mom is that when I was being raised and I was being educated in the U.S. in the public school system, I was taught a lot about communism and how different it is from a capitalist society. So one of the things that we don't share with China is China's a communist country. Uh, the United States is not. And what does that mean? Well, it means that in communist China, the government decides how people think. So when you talk in your monologue about technology that can look at your face and do face recognition, decide what you're thinking about things, 
uh, when you talked a little bit about tracking devices, you know, where you're going, where you are, where you've been, what you bought, all of those are part of the very fabric of communist China's existence. It is part of their vision for the future, that every mm-hmm. person living in China is not necessarily an individual with individual rights, but someone to be tracked, someone to be monitored, someone to be kept in line. And that's a very, very different philosophy than a typical American has yep. that was raised, you know, in the, 19, in the 20th century, right, in the 1900s. So that, coupled with the fact that Chinese education is very different than American education, takes me to the next point. So I love that you just talked about music, right? Music mm-hmm. is such a foundation for living and appreciating every breath we take and every moment we can experience in this world, right? Mm-hmm. It's creativity. It opens your mind up. You know, music in and of itself is the single best uh, thing to drive uh, thought process. It uses the most parts of your brain. When they do studies about music, it lights up the most parts of your brain than any other, right. anything else you can do. Right. And when we talk about technology, you know, the best technologists, are people who are innovators and who are innovators, people who are creative, people who love music, who love art, who are creative thinkers, okay? Okay. So why am I taking on this very circuitous, very long-winded answer that you are looking for? And the reason I'm taking you there is because I want your listeners to understand, what's so great about the U.S.? Well, you know what was so great about public education in the U.S.? That every kid learned to play sports, different sports, whether they liked it or not. That every kid got to learn an instrument, learn how to sing, learn how to sing patriotic songs and songs that were about seasons and songs that were, you know, came from dif- different ethnic origins. But we all learned music. We all were exposed to art. We learned how to draw. We learned how to sculpt. And in many places today in the U.S., hopefully still, people do wood shop. They learn how to build things out of wood. They learn how to cook. They learn homemaking skills. So why am I bringing this up? Because in China, they don't do any of that. Right. None of that creative thought, none of that opportunity to, you know, uh, uh, to create and to be individual and to have, you know, a thought that is, you know, unique, unique thought. None of that is espoused in China. None of it. When you learn how to draw, all the kids draw the same picture the same way, using the same technique. There's no expression. There is no ingenuity. There is no innovation. So now I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> no, it's wonderful that you build a context because sometimes answers without that context, they go right over the head or they're just simply not grasped. Well, I love the context. I have the context. Now give me the answer. So the answer is, why is China such a threat and why are the Chinese practices with the U.S. such a threat? The reason is, in the United States, we have companies, we have patents, we have individuals and corporations investing millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And we have creative thought and ingenuity. And what the big stink is, and why people have turned it political, and, you know, it can't help but being political, is that the Chinese are stealing our intellectual property. So they're stealing everything that we create. They're stealing our ideas because they can't create. They don't have an education system. They don't have a society. They don't live in a, in a situation as individuals or as a collective group that can create, that can create organic new thought. But they're really, really good at copying. They're really, really good at copying. And so what does that mean for the U.S.? That means... If you allow every single U.S. company to go to China and give away all their intellectual property and give away all of their know-how and give away all their creative thought so that the Chinese can take cheap labor and replicate and exploit every single industry that the U.S. has built, then the Chinese will become this huge power that they're on the trajectory for becoming. And the U.S. will become what? A service industry. It will become a has-been country where we're not creating and producing anything anymore. And a perfect little example, a perfect statistic for your listeners today. Five years ago, only 5% of the investment 
for the tech industry, everything related to tech, was done outside the U.S. Today, 40% of the money that goes to investing into technology globally comes out of China. Their government, their companies are investing heavily because they want to beat us in robotics. They want to beat us in artificial intelligence. They want to beat us in social media. They want to beat us in handheld devices. They want to control our uh, switching stations. They want to own everything. And as you alluded to before in your monologue, I'm going back to it, all this technology, you know what? It has a lot of positive and a lot of negative repercussions if not dealt with correctly. The last thing the U.S. wants is this foreign communist power, which is run by a communist leader who's in there for life, right? right? Deciding and controlling all the technology that could potentially affect how we think, what we do, how we live in our everyday lives. And that's why, and I hope I left out the politics, that's why every American needs to be concerned and every American needs to be behind any leader in the United States who's going to protect our way of life, through our intellectual property, our investment in technology, and the future of education in the United States. Amen. All right. Now I'm going to take you in a tangent from where we are, but not necessarily so much so, because China does this as well. But I want you to explain to us how how it's possible, let's just take Kapersky. How's it possible for him to hang spyware on American computers nationwide? How is it possible actually for anyone to do that? Okay, sure. Great question. So Kapersky was a Moscow-based technology company. What Kapersky did was they sold their software as a piece of uh, software that came with every computer that was sold in the United States. So if you went into, you know, Best Buy and you bought a new machine, they gave you this free, quote-unquote, free antivirus software that was produced by Kapersky, this Moscow-based company. So it was a free perk. So now, why do people, you know, want to use antivirus software? Well, we all, as consumers, want to use antivirus software because we don't want our machines to be hacked. We don't want people stealing our personal data on our computer, which I can go into all the different ways that's done. Right. So this free piece of software, antivirus software, was loaded on the machine. Well, that antivirus software was truly, quote-unquote, spyware. And what it did was it had a, an, as embedded in the, in the code of this technology, of this antivirus software, was that mm-hmm. every time the word secret was in the subject line of an email, or every time the word private was in the subject line of an email, any of these trigger words that they had, those emails would be filtered and would be sent to them, and they could look at them. And so there's a situation where it seemed like you were getting something for free, and you seemed like you were getting something great, but in reality, it was spyware. Um, So that's basically what happened. So the Kapersky antivirus software was developed, um, but it was used by the Russian government to secretly scan computers around the world for classified U.S. documents and top secret information. So, so bottom line, I, I mean, I think this is just a stupid question. Um, by exporting all of our technology as we are, uh, is our national security compromised? I mean, what, are we as human beings, individuals, compromised? Give me your bottom line answer. Yes, absolutely. How much detail do you want? <laughs> no, we're, we're, we don't have the time to get into the detail on it. I just, you know, your, your book is a powerful expose on so many aspects of the abuses, of the potential. Um, indeed, you know, I guess the most important thing left that we have not discussed at all is the economic impact on this country of the present trend in the tech sector. I, everywhere I read, there are anticipations the tech sector is going to have a major crash in 2018. Let's start there. Okay. So... 
let's talk about the tech sector and, and the economics associated with it. So one of the things, right, the reason, primary reason I wrote the book is that today, you know, there's two separate pieces kind of when you look at the technology world. I just want to refer back to just one quick thing so people get an understanding of this. There's all these huge technology corporations in the U.S. that are, are known globally, right? But mm-hmm. I just want to make sure there's one, one thing I mentioned for your listeners. So Facebook is not something that can be used in China. Hillary, I'm sorry, but I'm looking at a clock now. I lost the clock for a minute when I lost the modem, and we're out of time. And I want ah. you to have an opportunity to tell everybody. We'll just leave them on that teaser. Everybody, where they can get their book, where they can learn more about you, um, your Facebook page. Uh, you, you do a lot of posting there. Please share that with our audience in about 30 seconds. Billionslostbook.com. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get tons of great articles. I tried to, um, on Twitter, post articles that just help everybody understand the different things associated with technology today. And if you guys enjoyed or have any questions for me or want me to come back, just send me an email. Uh, it's hillarygam at gmail.com. It's on my billionslostbook.com website. I love to hear from listeners and, you know, look forward to the opportunity to come back again and, and talk to you again. Uh, it's a great interview, and I so appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I can't thank you. Uh, and we're going to do just that. You are always welcome on this show. I love your book. And one last time, for all of you, billions lost, go get the book. We are flat out of time. So until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.